Hello, on behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm David Osman, and with me again today is David Ranson of HCWE and Co. Our subject for this podcast is the US economy after the Great Interruption. The Independent Research Forum promotes an extensive range of high quality independent research and data providers, both micro and macro, some stock pickers, some sector specific, some country specific, many global and all investment related. With the uneven rollout of various COVID-19 vaccines around the world this year, there is a wider than usual range of forecasts for economic growth and inflation, both in 2021 and in 2022. From an investment standpoint, a lot depends on the outlook for the US economy. I'm therefore particularly pleased that once again, we're joined today by David Ransom, the president of HCWE, who holds a doctorate in business economics from the University of Chicago Business School. HCWE has a clientele of institutional investors, hedge funds and family offices throughout North America and Europe. HCWE has a distinctive way of explaining and predicting capital market trends and economic developments. It has demonstrated a successful track record in anticipating major economic and asset market moves in both the US and elsewhere. David, welcome back. Let's start with a brief introduction to the service that HCWE provides to your clients. Yes, thank you for having me again. Yes, uh, our work, let me tell you what's different about our work, uh, principally focus on that. It's empirical. We're not theoretically based. We're aware of all the theories in economics, and there are many more of them than most people learn from the news media. But we uh, pick and choose according to what fits the empirical evidence, and we publish the empirical evidence and research on it. We take a classical perspective that has grown over time. We've been at this for such a long time. Our perspective has developed, evolved, grown. And, uh, of course, it originated in uh, my uh, exposure to the Chicago School of Economics, which is very much still alive, although you wouldn't know it from uh, listening to the uh, press. Uh, as a result of being empirical and taking a classical perspective, it is counter-consensus a very great deal. So, David, in response to the global COVID-19 pandemic, during 2020, monetary and fiscal policies were conducted on a massive scale. What is your evidence for doubting their effectiveness? Fundamentally, economics says that when consumers receive windfall income or windfall wealth, they don't spend it, they save it primarily. And saving may consist in large part of drawing down debt if they're under pressure. So that's the main reason theoretically for doubting whether the so-called stimulus programs are going to actually stimulate output. What they in fact stimulate is saving or debt reduction, and there's no effect on output that uh, seems to be visible. The evidence lies internationally. We've had a wonderful opportunity to test this during the COVID crisis because different countries have had different amounts of fiscal and monetary stimulus 
And uh, of course, every country has had its own rebound. Uh, the rebounds are generally extraordinary across the world, following fairly deep plunges in output in the second quarter of last year. What you find when you look at the evidence is that the rebounds are basically proportionate to the setbacks in the quarter before, and they, they bear no relationship at all to how generous the stimulus programs were in different countries. Uh, the U.S. had the most stimulative or the most generous stimulus programs, but its rebound was lower than average. China had the least stimulus, and its rebound was one of the uh, was considerably greater than the U.S. rebound, and, and it was above average. So, how does this affect the distribution of debt between the public and private sectors, and within the private sector? Yes, well, that's the effect that it, uh, if if you have this um, amount of saving and debt reduction, the private sector is getting itself out of debt, while the central government sector is getting itself deeper into debt. So it's a transfer of debt from one part of the economy to another part of the economy, public to private, or private to public. And that implies a a redistribution of wealth as well. When it comes to monetary policy, what is the empirical relationship between money supply growth and consumer price inflation. Yes, people are arguing now that we have this buildup of assets, particularly monetary assets, and uh, there's been a lot of focus on M2, the broad money supply. Uh, It did grow something like 15% in a very few months last year and has continued to grow since. So this is a very unusual buildup of money, uh, and it's widely argued this will lead to inflation and uh, also boost growth. But if you look at the evidence for M2's growth over time and the economy's growth over time, and also look at the inflation rate over time, this big surprise is that M2 growth is not related to the inflation rate in the way you expect. The correlation is negative, not positive. And so when you have a large increase in M2, you tend to get less inflation, not more inflation. And this is, of course, uh, would be very puzzling to conventional thinking. And what do you expect the rate of US consumer price inflation to be at the end of this year and at the end of 2022? Well, it depends on the dollar. The thing that does drive inflation, and this is again Chicago School Economics, it's not money supply, uh, that's part of the Chicago School But the other part of the Chicago School argues, uh, the Mendelian side of the Chicago School argues, that it's the dollar's depreciation that drives inflation. We don't know how much depreciation in the dollar will be permitted by the Biden administration. There's not much sign that the administration has paid any attention to the problem yet. But just since the election, the dollar has declined quite a bit, 5% maybe. And if that continues at that speed, then we'll have a good deal of inflation. We might have inflation back up to 5% uh, or more. Uh, It all depends. But the key point is that the inflation will be generated by the currency, not by the monetary growth. Yes, really a deep point indeed. Uh, It's not the quantity of money that correlates with inflation. It's the quality of money. Quality means how well accepted money is And when money is not well accepted, of course, the price of that money goes down in terms of other currencies.
So the quality of money is picked up by the exchange rate between the dollar or some other currency and alternative currencies. When it comes to uh, the broader economy, what happened to US productivity during the pandemic in 2020? Yeah, productivity bounced around a great deal. Productivity is the ratio between output and employment or man hours worked. Uh, I've been looking at employment particularly. There was a big change in productivity at the beginning of the crisis. But on the whole, during the early stages of the crisis and beyond the crisis, back in the spring and summer of last year, productivity was gaining substantially, way out of line with what it had been before. So productivity, we are learning in uh, an unusual economic situation like last year, uh, is not constant, cannot be used to forecast the economy. It's all over the place. And the reason it is, is that output uh, under these circumstances was growing much more rapidly than employment was. Later, post-July, the thing turns around. Output is no longer growing so much because it's already rebounded almost uh, something like 90% to where it started, whereas employment has been growing much more slowly. But now uh, even the growth of employment at a slow rate exceeds the growth of output. And you have, as a result of that, you have productivity declining, not very rapidly, but productivity reached its peak in July and has been declining since. Uh, It's really about halfway back to where it began, which would be roughly uh, equilibrium. What are the implications for the level and the growth of productivity in 2021 and 2022? Yeah, I would expect productivity to continue returning to the equilibrium or comfortable level that it was at before the pandemic crisis broke out. But it'll take a long time because employment is not growing rapidly. Uh, It may grow more rapidly than output, but it won't uh, grow rapidly by historical standards. And uh, we're going to have a very long stretch of time where productivity is actually higher than average, but is returning slowly to average. So what will all of this mean for the rate of US real GDP growth and for asset prices this year? Yeah, well, my point is that you can't predict the growth of the economy from productivity. Uh, It looks as though you can, because under normal conditions, output and employment behave roughly proportionately. But that's not true uh, in the beginning of a crisis, the middle of a crisis, or post-crisis. What you have to do to forecast the economy's growth this year and next year is to look at leading indicators that do work, especially in a crisis, And one of the best of these is the level of uncertainty, which can be measured in various different ways. Uh, One very easy way to measure it from market evidence is the VIX index. And uh, you find that a big jump in the VIX index in one year, which took place in 2020, is associated with subnormal growth in the following year. Also, David, when it comes to what government policy can and cannot achieve, And resilience, I think, is something that you feel is very important for the economy. And I would just wonder, how can they strengthen the resilience of the economy? I think the economy has proved a tremendous amount of resilience, not only in the US, but throughout the world. Uh, Everybody was talking recession throughout 2020, 
and they're still calling it a recession, but it was nothing like a normal recession. We had a, an enormous drop in output in most of uh, Europe and most of the developed world, and it bounced back very quickly, uh, quite unlike recessions. Uh, so I think what it was, uh, was a great interruption in the pace of economic activity. People were blocked from doing their normal business in many industries. And once the blockage was removed, they went back to uh, doing it again. But in the process, of course, the mechanism, the relationship between employer and employee was damaged. And a large part of the labor force, especially the less productive part of the labor force, uh, was left uh, off the rails. And it takes time for that to get back on the rails. David, many thanks for this fascinating insight into the HCWE service. With more time, it would be interesting to discuss in more detail your asset allocation recommendations for both the developed economies and for the emerging markets. The Independent Research Forum is offering a short trial to the HCWE service and can also provide details of how to subscribe to the full service. More information is available on request from the IRF. Thank you for listening to this IRF podcast with David Ranson, the president of HCWE. 